don't we uh, go ahead and pray together? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this time, and we thank you for all the tools that you give us to um, utilize in ministry, to utilize in proclaiming your good news to the world uh, through our actions, through our words. Uh, we thank you for this time that uh, as we gather in the name of Christ, that we can know Christ is with us. May your spirit work in our hearts and our minds, and may you accomplish your good ends in our time together. To you be the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Do you have a calling? Do you, do you sense that you have a calling in this world? You know, there seems to be these typical ways that people go about discerning their calling in life. Some people approach their calling just simply through feelings. Like they, they have this sense of conviction, they have a, a set of desires and passions, and maybe they feel some pressures, like they feel peer pressure or parental pressure, and they put these feelings together and they try to work out, what is my calling? Some, some people do it through some level of assessment. Like these would be more the spreadsheet type people. They, they would uh, identify, okay, so what has the greatest significance? What aligns with my abilities? What aligns with my opportunities? And what has the greatest impact in the world? And they put scores with each one. They come up with a total score and that's their calling in life. Still others approach it through connection. Maybe there's a certain profession or a certain purpose or certain people or a certain uh, place that they feel connected to and they say, my calling is there. My calling is with them. My calling is to do that. Well, today we're going to talk about a fourth approach to calling, calling through revelation. When God says, this is what I have for you, calling through revelation. You know, we often prime the pump with little children. We ask the question of kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? We prime the pump. We ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And how did you answer that question when you were a kid? Did you say, I want to be a nurse? I, I want to be a firefighter. I, I, I want to be an astronaut. Or were you that uh, precocious kid that goes, I want to be a paleontologist? I'm always amazed at how many kids want to be paleontologists. I've never actually met a paleontologist, and yet so many kids want to be one. It turns out there seems to be a flaw in this question. What do you want to be when you grow up? It seems to make a connection between who we are and what we do. In fact, it tells us who we are is what we do. We've primed our children to think in terms of our being in the future is defined by our doing. What if we approached life differently? So differently that when we were to ask our children, what do you want to be when you grow up? And with all sincerity, with zero precociousness, they were able to say, I want to be a person of integrity I want to be a really good listener. I want to be merciful. We've uh, begun a series of conversations on uh, what makes us different as followers of Christ. 
we're calling this series, We Are Different. We're taking a look at Second Peter, and in this little book, we, we find an explanation of what sets Christians apart. Uh, there was some false teaching going on, and we'll take a look at that in a couple of weeks, but uh, in the midst of this teaching, there was this opportunity to, to define, this is what makes you different. This is what sets you apart from the rest of the world. Today, we're going to focus on embracing our different calling that we have a calling, and it's different from the rest of the world. It's not one of those particular callings, like, like here I want you to go and do this task, or I want you to play this role. Instead, it's the calling that is fundamental, that undergirds all other callings we might have in our life. Our text is actually going to be verses 3 through 15, but just as a quick note, verses 12 through 15 is a part of the letter that is really more stylistic. It actually is included in this type of a communication to set it apart from other communications. And the author says, listen, I know I'm going to die. In fact, Jesus has revealed to me I'm going to soon die. And, and, and so what I really want to do in my time that I have remaining is I want to remind you. And I want to keep on reminding you. Until that day, I want to keep on reminding you. And that even this letter becomes part of that reminding one of the commentators I was reading this past week pointed out, you know, that sometimes when you hear someone say, you know, I'd love to give you a reminder. All I want to do is remind you of the things you already know. Okay, sometimes they really do mean I just want to provide a reminder and an encourager and celebrate what you're already doing. Other times, they simply use a reminder to soften the blow of, I don't see this happening in your life. <laughs> and I think you need a reminder. In which of these we think that the author is actually using, we, don't, we can't nail it down, but we'll know in our own experience which role these words are to play. Maybe it is for you that these are simply a good reminder of what you're already living. For some of us, we may receive them and go, I needed that because it wasn't true in my life. So with this in mind, let's go ahead and turn to our text and open up your Bibles to 2 Peter, and we'll be looking at verses 3 through 15. Hear the Word of God. His, or Jesus's, uh, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises— so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. May God bless the reading of his word, and may God bless our conversation as well. All right, what picture comes to mind when you hear it put this way? Final call. Do you picture an airport terminal? Final call, flight 5923, bound for Dallas. How about with these words? Last call. Okay, how many of you? (laughs) How many of you immediately picture? I know that one. Or how about this one? Uh, You have an important call. An office, on line three, an important call. Well, what comes to mind when you picture Christ's call? Christ's call. There's a different calling for those who follow Christ. It's different than the calling that people who do not follow Christ have. It's a calling that is dependent upon a relationship with Christ. It's only available through Christ. Here is that calling. We find it in verse 4, that you may become partakers of the divine nature. You know, when people find out that I used to be an engineer, uh, they often ask, well, what led you to become a pastor? Or when they find out that I, I, I moved to the Midwest from California, what led you to move from California to the Midwest? My answer to both of them is the same the call of God, the call of God. Well, what is your call in life? Can you imagine responding to that question with, well, here's my call. My call in life is to be a partaker of the divine nature. All right, challenge you, right? This week, someone, just share with someone, you know what my call in life is? I partake in the divine nature. And see how they respond. Here's what we find out about this call. We are called by Jesus. We're called by his own glory and excellence. A calling which is made possible because we have been allowed to escape from the corruption that is in this world. We have escaped because of what Jesus has done. Jesus' death on the cross paid the price so that we are now escapees from corruption. And that Jesus himself sets us apart so that it's not something we can negotiate. It is by his own glory and excellence that he establishes this calling. We can't approach Christ and go, hey, I love the teaching about heaven. But that whole self-sacrifice thing, can we dial that back a little bit? It's his call upon our lives. So let's drill down on it. What does it mean to be partakers of the divine nature? Maybe it might be helpful if we look at what it does not mean. There seems to be some tendencies among us that that we like to latch on to certain attributes that are God's, and we assume that we also have access to these, that this is part of what he might share with us. Maybe we don't think it all the way through, but it turns out to be the same. We like to live out sovereignty, like we're in charge. I'm the boss of me. This is my world. I'm the king. I'm the queen of my little fiefdom. I will do things my way. 
Or maybe we like to play the role of judge. Like we take this on as though we're gifted in this way to judge against other people and and to be harsher against others than we even are to ourselves. We like to play the role of judge. Or maybe it's omniscience. And we like this quality to kind of feel like we know it all. I know what their motivations are. I I know what they did. I've heard others say it. I, I don't need to talk to them. I already know. Or maybe we like to establish what truth is. Well, this is my truth. I, I, I like to set apart my truth. My truth is universal for me, and I establish my truth. But these are not the things that we share in the divine nature. Being partakers in the divine nature is not about issues of control. Being partakers in the divine nature is all about sharing in God's character. It's not about control, it's about character. Uh, Peter Davids in his commentary makes the comment that it's all about ethics and not ontology. It's ethical, not ontological. It's not about being in essence. Instead, it's about our choices that we make toward others in this world. The word here, in fact, this phrase itself, that we would be partakers in the divine nature. This is a phrase that is common in the Hellenistic world, in the Greek world. They would use this phrase quite a bit. And the author here is taking that phrase, except is changing one of the words. That the word for partaker, that he leaves aside the word that the culture was using, and he inserts the word uh, koinonos. And maybe you're familiar with the word koinonia which means fellowship, and we often use it in churches, and we'll talk about koinonia groups, fellowship groups, and the word here is koinonos, that we would be sharers. We would be in fellowship. And we've seen this before in other passages. We know that in 1 Peter, we even find this in 1 Peter uh, 1.15, where it says, but as, but as he who called you is holy, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Share in the holiness of God. Or if we were to look at Ephesians 4, in verse 24, we find the words, and to put on, this encouragement, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The sharing that we have is in God's righteousness and holiness, in his character, in his ethics. This is what it is to partake, to share and to have fellowship with God in these very things. In other words, it's living in light of being escapees from corruption. This is the calling on our lives. Well, we would be right to ask the question, if this is the question you're coming to, how is that even possible? Listen, we talk about how holy God is. How how is it even possible in this world to be holy like God is holy, to be righteous like God is righteous? This past week, some friends got together, and we we helped another friend move. Uh, She was moving from one apartment to another apartment, and so we were all there together. And as we were going about the day, it struck me, uh, of the various times that Vicki and I have moved, we've always had help. And moving is such a daunting task. You know, you go into it and you start to put things in boxes and you, you soon find out, how many things do I have? 
And when you move to the new place and you start to put things away, and you start looking and there's so much to do in the new place. And we've always had help. We've always had help. Well, it turns out we have help in partaking in the divine nature. If we look at verse 3, we read that his divine power has granted to us, listen to that, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that, that it takes to live a godly life, everything that pertains to life and godliness, that in his divine power he has granted us these things through the knowledge of him who called us. God has given us everything we need. You know, over this uh, past year in the pandemic, Vicki and I have put together a number of puzzles. So our standard way we go about puzzles is we dump them out and we start to turn the pieces over. And we begin with the edge pieces um, like normal people do. And uh, So we come to the place where we're almost finished with the edges and then there's like one or two pieces missing. Our automatic assumption is that the company shortchanged us. Like, we don't have all that we need to make this puzzle. We bought the wrong one. The factory failed. It's not going to be made. Well, it usually turns out that they gave us all the pieces and we just didn't find it. Well, God has indeed given us all that is necessary. Our calling to participate in the divine nature is supported by God's gifts to us. It is possible simply because of God. All right, so let's look at the other side of the coin. This does not take away, this other side of the coin does not take away with what, from what we just said. God provides what we need, and at the same time, we have a role to play. In verse 5, for this reason, make every effort to supplement this is a, 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 a pretty dense sentence. Make every effort to add on to. And the word being used for add on to has this uh, picture with it of, um, uh, uh, of bringing your best, of you make a plan and that you work your plan. You do these things. This is an intentionality uh, involved in this whole process. For this reason, make every effort to supplement. In other words, embrace. Embrace your different calling. And then the author goes into this list of things that we're to focus on. And this is not the only list in Scripture. This is not the only list in the New Testament. There are several places. One of these places happens to be in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. In that list, and by the way, there's an overlap of, I think, about four different items from the list in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and this passage that we have here. The big difference between the two passages is that in the Galatians passage, it, this list is identified as the fruit of the Spirit. That the Spirit brings that fruit about. That the, God's Spirit is at work bringing those things about in our life. And yet, even with the overlap, here in Second Peter, we're instructed that, listen, this is your role to play. You have some responsibility. We have responsibility. For this reason, make every effort to add. And so he begins with faith. And faith is not just general loyalty. It's not general faithfulness to all things. It's, it happens to focus essentially on Jesus Christ. That, that 
we would add something to our faithfulness to Christ. And that which we add would be virtue. Or goodness would be another way of saying it. Moral excellence. We would add to this moral excellence, we would add knowledge. And that knowledge uh, uh, that we're adding is this practical knowledge of Christ. The kind of knowledge, not just kind of theory, not just Bible study for the sake of Bible study, but it's the knowledge of Christ and, and who He is and how He operates that then we then apply to our life. So we have faith and we add to it virtue, we add to it knowledge, and we add self-control or temperance. Not giving in to desires. And to self-control, we add steadfastness, perseverance, endurance, that we would be able to stand firm in persecution, that this would be increasing in our life. And to steadfastness, we would add godliness. Again, here, uh, Peter Davids in his commentary, he, he talks about godliness as, uh, as having a vertical component to it, that it's the way we treat God, that, that we treat God with awe and honor. But we also has, it also has a horizontal, that to be godly and to grow in godliness is to treat other people with honor as well. And to godliness, we then add brotherly affection. It's an interesting little uh, term here, this brotherly affection or sisterly affection. You see, in the time, in, in the culture at the time, that the establishment of the church meant that there was a whole new relationship for Christians. That they went through a new birth. They were reborn. They were born again. And they were born again into a family, into a gathering, a community. And that together the people had one father, one heavenly father. And so they would refer to each other as brothers and sisters and sisters and brothers. And that the term being used here is, is the kind of love that would be in a family. So this is familial love or sisterly affection. And that we would grow in this year by year. And to all these things, we would add love. Just as a quick reminder, love is an action-oriented, selfless caring for others. It's a virtue, not an emotion. In other words, we have a significant role to play in our partaking in the divine nature. We have a significant part to play in our own calling. It's a lead role. Yes, is the Holy Spirit involved? Absolutely, the Holy Spirit is involved. God is at work bringing these things to be in our lives, and yet we have a role to play, a part to play. We're first-string players. We play every down. And so we're called to know our part, to practice our lines. It's true, we don't earn our salvation, but we confirm it. We don't pay for our sins, but we demonstrate our gratitude in response to God's forgiveness. Make every effort. Make every effort. The text tell, calls us to be diligent, that these things would be increasing in our lives as we live forward. By the way, this is the best career advice we could ever receive. This is the best marriage advice we could ever receive. This is the best parenting advice we could ever receive. This call to add to our faith in Christ goodness, and uh, to goodness that we would add knowledge of Christ, and that we would add to knowledge of Christ, we would add self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love, that if we're adding these things and bringing them into our career, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, that's the best thing we can do. 
Would the people at our office be able to say to us, gosh, I see a difference in you. I, could they declare, you treat people differently than everybody else treats people? Would our spouse be able to say, listen, I know in the past two years, you have grown in goodness. You have grown in brotherly or sisterly affection. You have grown in your ability to be selfless to, and, and to care for, for me. Would our children be able to identify the things about mom and dad, that they could see these qualities growing in them. Tell me about your mom. Tell me about your dad. Well, they're growing in their faith. They're growing in goodness. They're growing in knowledge of Christ and self-control. I love watching. They've set for me a pattern that I want for my own life. This is how we embrace our call. We make every effort. We add to. The nice thing about this is it also then gives a witness to the rest of the world as they watch. And by the way, it's also to our advantage. In verse 8, it keeps us from being ineffective and unfruitful. Verse 9, it tells us that if we lack these things, it actually shows that we're nearsighted, that we're blind, that, that we can't see the big picture. We're blind to the big picture. We've lost sight of our conversion. We've lost sight that we have been uh, made es uh, escapees from corruption. And so we're called to look back. And these things, as we work on the, they help us to, to step back and we see, listen, I'm a different person because of what Jesus has done in me. And now I live the call to partake in the divine nature. Verse 10, practicing these qualities confirm our calling and election and they keep us from falling or stumbling. And the picture in verse 11 is of our arrival at the eternal kingdom and that our arrival is celebrated. Okay, so three quick applications then. First is this. This week, would you rest in this passage? Particularly, would you take verses three and four and just read them every single day? Rest in them that Jesus has granted you everything, everything for a godly life. Everything he's granted you for a godly life. The second thing would be this. In addition to resting, would you take time to examine Examine, use verses five through seven, this list of things that you're to supplement, that we're to supplement in our life, that to add to, add to faith, goodness and goodness, um, that we would add knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, etc. that we would examine our life and compare our efforts that we're giving to growing in these things to the efforts that we have in other areas of our life. How does our effort, when it says make every effort, how does our effort to grow in these things compare to our effort we're giving to our career? How does our effort to grow in these things compare to our effort that we're giving to our team? How does our effort in these things compare to our effort that we're giving to our education? Make every effort. Examine. The third thing is apply. And to take up that idea of supplement or to add, to make a plan that we would actually make a plan over the next three or four months how are we going to grow in these things? Take on our role, our responsibility, knowing that God is already at work in these things, that God has given us everything we need. God's going to do his part as we live our part. What is our plan for that? Maybe for you, you'll write down, I'm going to participate in the 
uh, Good and Beautiful God series. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make attending worship or participating in worship online and in person. That's going to be a priority for me. I, I'm going to read the book. I'm going to engage in the soul training exercises. I'm, I'm going to participate in a life group or whatever it is that we would add to it. Make a plan. I am going to grow this season. I'm going to work on that growth and be diligent about it. We make a plan and then we share that plan with someone, a trusted friend that they could encourage us and hold us accountable. And then we would make every effort to live our plan. So, next time when someone asks you, what do you want to be when you grow up? We can say, I'm already living it. I'm participating in the divine nature. I'm confirming my election. I'm making every effort to supplement my faith with virtue and to supplement virtue with knowledge and and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. What do I want to be when I grow up? Come on. Don't you know I'm already living it? Even more, I... um, I have a rich welcome awaiting me at the eternal kingdom. Don't call me nearsighted. I'm not blind to what God has done in my life. What do I want to be when I grow up? I'm already living it. I'm a partaker in the divine nature. Let's pray. Jesus, when you gave your life on the cross... You did way more than just secure our place in heaven. You opened the door that we would be able to partake in that which is of you. You have given us all things. You have given us the forgiveness of the sins that that kept us uh, enslaved and unable to approach God. You have paved the path for us. You have given us your spirit to accomplish the things that will glorify you. The meal that we celebrate today, the the acknowledgement of your death on the cross and the forgiveness of sins which we have received also acknowledges that we have become partakers of your nature, the divine nature. And so God, would you work in our hearts today and in our minds that when we receive the bread and the juice this morning, that we would be able to glory before you with all sincerity, with all surrender. We pray this in Christ's name.